0: I was an English major and I sucked at math, so I'm mostly just yelling at people online. You know, I, I can't I can't slander
1: the man I'm here filling in for either. Hey.
0: And with that, we are underway at the Dummy Run Podcast, a Minnesota United leaning podcast that may mention the USL from time to time. I'm Grant Hirschberger. He's guest host Stefan Wenk. Uh, Stefan, did, did I get your name right? Because I tend to get names wrong quite frequently, actually.
1: Uh, surprisingly, you got this one right this time. <laughs> Oof,
0: okay. I practiced it a few times, but uh, I still tend to mess those up pretty badly. So uh, as many of you may know, uh, our normal host, I mean, I put normal in quotation marks, but our regular host, Alex McCracken, is unavailable for today. So Stefan has kindly um, volunteered his time and mind and abilities to weigh in um, for those of you who don't know, Stefan is my frequent fact checker and auditor on social media. Keeps me on the straight and narrow when I'm firing off too much on Twitter. So, uh, Stefan, thanks for having the time to to jump on here.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. Glad to glad to share some thoughts and glad I could help out.
0: So, Stefan, real quick for everyone listening, give us your quick backstory with Minnesota United. When did you get started? Like following the team? Do you have any affiliations with any supporter groups? Tell us, tell us your connection here.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, started following a team in 2018. I uh, went to my first match because the tickets were cheap and I was looking for something to do on a summer day. Um, went to a couple games at TCF that's, that year. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, was a college student at the time. Um, so I went back to, went back to college for, for the year and was sort of keeping an eye on things. Um, saw Allianz field was opening up, was really excited about that. Um, and then first season at Allianz attended like, 10, 10 or 11 matches. Really loved that. And I've just sort of been, uh, been hooked ever since.
0: Now, Stefan, do you want to, uh, share with, share with the audience, how you and I really got connected, really got bonded over social media?
1: Uh, sure, I forget who reached out to who first, but um, we <laughs> we both uh, shared a passion for defending Robin Lude, um when he was getting uh, quite a bit of slander during his first half season
0: here. It was uh, you and saw... me and MJ, uh, MJ of the popular The Dave's I Know podcast, who started our, our Robin Lud Apologist uh, yeah. Twitter DM, and, and pretty much every week there was something new where statistically you or I or MJ were saying, look, I mean, he's not bad. Like, he's not a bad player. So it's been, you know, it's been uh, really rewarding seeing him flourish the last year and, you know, see him playing at the Euros, which, I mean, he was incredible at the Euros. Did you watch any of those games with Finland? I did,
1: yeah. Doing a little bit of everything for them, honestly.
0: Um, I'm really excited about what he'll look like on this team. But I digress. So... Stefan and I um, communicated a lot about Robin Lude, our large adult Finnish son. Um, Let's see, anything else? Stefan, where'd you go to college?
1: Uh, Boston University.
0: Mm. See, when I first got connected with Stefan, I thought the BU was Bethel. Um, So I was like, oh, cool, another Bethel alumni. And then he was like, Boston. I was like, oh, so you're like way cooler. So I get it. Like, that's fine. (laughs) I
1: don't know about way cooler, just a little further away.
0: (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. All right, fair enough. So, um, we'll get things starting, you know, without Alex um, to keep me reined in. And since this is Stefan's first time, this may be a bit of a wild card, Maverick episode. So, um, we're going to keep you on your toes, guys. We're going to try our best to stay in line. Um, but we're going to go back all the way to the Austin FC versus Minnesota United game. Um, that was a 2-0 victory for Minnesota United. Stefan, just right off the bat, before we even kicked off how are you feeling about and try not to retroactively change anything but how are you feeling mm-hmm. about the team's um status you know I think at that point we were four games unbeaten
1: yeah four games unbeaten uh, I thought we looked good um but there was just like a little switch that needed to needed to click at some point um to really start um, start firing on all cylinders. Um, and I knew going back to a home match with a, with a full alliance um, again, um, I knew that that could be a good opportunity to sort of start, start really back on, on the winning ways. Um, so I was looking forward to that, that match for sure.
0: I think we all were. I, I, as many listeners know, I like to comment on things when I have been right in the past and I like to ignore things when I've been wrong. And, I believe I s- predicted this as a 2 0 victory in the, the last podcast. I know Alex might have gone for the, the fences with a 3 0 prediction, I think, is what he had. But, um, so, seeing, seeing the lineup, I think the biggest names that popped out to me were a pretty obvious backline of Mettinier, Boxall, Debassi, and Gasper. But then to see Nico Hansen, Adrian Unou, uh Franco Fragapane, and Emmanuel Reynoso all in the lineup at the same time. Uh, was really really exciting for me. I just thought that you know we haven't had a chance to see Nico Hansen um, since he had that injury early in the season, and then we haven't had a chance to really see Franco Fragapane and Adrian Nunu work with Emmanuel Reynoso, who has been <laughs> a little quiet on the stat sheet, but still a very very impactful player for the Minnesota United team. Uh, many people don't know this, but even though he doesn't have a lot of assists this year, he's second in the league for shot-creating actions across all players, only behind Carlos Heel of the New England Revolution, who is playing out of his mind right now. So that's not a bad second place, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, of course not. Um, and it, it did feel like, you know, looking at the team sheet, this was the closest to a full-strength team we could reasonably get without the players that were missing for the Euros. I mean, really, who would uh, you even so-
0: swap out? Uh,
1: you'd probably put Ludd in for, for Hansen and you might think about Gregush in for either Trapp or Dotson. But beyond that, this is pretty much the Premier eleven that we can put out on, on the pitch at this point in time. Um, and so I was really excited to see sort of what, what the, the front four with all of these new faces that are, that are only just, sort of just getting started in their Minnesota United careers um, could look like together.
0: And, uh, yeah, I mean, little did we know – I mean, I did predict it, so let's count that. But uh, little did we know, they would come to play real fast. I mean, I don't even have the... What's the timeline here? It was like 13 minutes in, right? Yeah. Uh, the Franco flag- Fraga-Ponny, Frog- 10, 10 minutes in. Yeah. Um, really, really good play. Great assist by Roman Metonier. Um Awesome hit by Franco. We're going to put a little hard stop here for a second and say, um, after the Portland game, there's obviously... You know, the situation with Diego Chara, we will be sharing our thoughts and we will be addressing that once we get to the Portland Timbers game. So for the sake of just analyzing the game and comments about that, let's hold off on those opinions because we will be addressing those at that time and, and we have plenty of thoughts to say about that. So as of now, mm-hmm. we are in our naive state where none of that has happened yet and we don't have to worry about it just yet. So Franco Fragapane, assisted by Roman Metinier, who another player who... We are seeing some of his best soccer right now. I mean, offensively, defensively, he has been incredible for the team. How how do you feel about Roman so far this year, especially in consideration of, I think last year, he kind of had an up-and-down season?
1: Yeah, last year was really up-and-down, and and I thought he's looked a lot better this year, but I think the Austin match was by far his best performance to date. Um, I think he he was all over the field, um, the first half, he was tasked with dealing with uh, with our good pal Cecilio Dominguez, um, and and thought he did a really really solid job handling him as well. Um, so I've been really impressed with with the way Metinier has come on as of late, and he's looking a lot more like his twenty nineteen All Star self, I think.
0: And I believe Major League Soccer agrees with us because I think that was the last week was when he was on the team of the week, right? Pretty sure. I believe. I'm pretty sure because so, it was him and. It was him and Franco, because uh, Franco mm. got the goal and the assist in this game. So, you know, 10 minutes in, we got a goal right away. And, I mean, a great assist by Metonier. Incredible goal by Franco fraga He volleys it. I don't know if it's the trap that bounces the ball up, like when he's trying to trap the ball, but he gets his hips yeah. up and over it as it's bouncing up and manages to just blast it. If you look at, um, like, the squared-on view, he really hits it. Top corner. Like you can't be any more top corner than that shot. And 10 minutes in, I'm like, this is gonna be a super fun game. Um, Mm -hmm. Did your jaw drop when you saw that goal? Uh,
1: Yeah, well, I was at the match. Uh, So, so yeah, Uh, the jaw dropped just a little um, from the opposite end of the field. Um, and one thing I wanted to note with this goal that I, I caught when I was rewatching the game after I got home is I want to give a a little shout out to, to Hassani Dotson on this goal, actually, because Nico Hansen has the ball out wide and Dotson makes a run uh, to the corner flag on that same side, which clears out the space for Metaner to make his run along the edge of the 18. where he's fed by Hansen and eventually puts in the cross to lead to the goal. And I, I think that's one of the things that's, that I really appreciate about Dotson is his willingness to get forward in those moments um, and just making that run cleared the space that makes that goal possible.
0: Yeah, I, I think Dotson has been... So I, when I said, you know, who would you replace out of this lineup with the Euro guys, you know, I, obviously we're going to put Robin Luden there. I mean, I bought the man's jersey for, mm-hmm. for goodness sakes, right? I dropped... It was an early birthday present to myself. I can't believe how obscenely expensive these jerseys are if you want the name on the back, but, you know, whatever. I'm a sucker, right? I bought the jersey. Um, so, of course, he's going to be in the lineup. For me, Dotson has really played well, and he has played invigorated, he has played um, motivated, and he is up and down the field. He's starting to find, in my opinion, his best role, which I think is the Jan Gregoosh role. It's a eight- Who's probably a tiny bit more defensively minded um, and defensively able, but then also able to move forward and, and create and build and get shots off. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Dotson has had a very good stretch of two games here. So we're all going nuts. Minnesota's up 10, ten minutes in. Franco Fragapane's already on the board. And not even another 10 minutes later, Adrian Unu. Whips in a header from a Fragapane corner. Which, what do you think about Fragapane taking these corners? You know, typically it's been Reynoso. Uh, that looked like a pretty good corner. It, does it feel like there's some strategy? Do you just want the shorter guy kind of out of the play, since I don't think well, you're going to so assume actually, he's going to get a header, right? Yeah.
1: So I actually noticed that, in in particular for this corner, Reynoso was off pitch. He'd just gone down injured. Um, on the breakaway leading to the corner kick, um, and so initially I thought, oh, you know, Reynoso's off. Fragapane is our, our next best option um, from from the corner spot. Um, but I, as we've as we've continued to watch the rest of that match and the matches moving forward, it seems like they're delegating one side to each of those two players, um, so that the cross is always whipped in and curling towards the goal. Um, and so I think that's, that's been a smart decision that's, that's led to some, some dangerous attempts. And, and like you said, I, I'm not expecting Fragapane to, to score any banging headers. Um, so I don't, I don't mind having him um, out wide on, on the corner kicks.
0: I don't remember if it was his last game for the Loons. It was like one of his last three games that Darwin Quintero played for the Loons. He had a, there was a cross that went in and he like had a header opportunity for it. And I remember everyone just being like, who would have thought Darwin would be the one trying to head the ball in? You know, he got up with all his... Was It It was either Darwin or maybe it was Tomas Chacon. It was somebody short on our team, and I'm I'm blanking, so I'm sure people are going to call me out later. But um, really well-taken header by Adrian Unu. I mean, it's the kind you really want to see where it's contested. He's going up against a center back. I'm not sure which one um, for Austin, but he's going up against a player. He gets height over him and redirects the ball really, really well. Uh, Great goal, exactly what you want to see out of your striker. Um, If he's not going to score an open play, let's head the ball in, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. As the game went on, you know, you continued to see um, the team gelling. I think we had more and more nice opportunities. I also think that um, Cecilio Dominguez was on a short leash. And uh, Cecilio Dominguez was not able to kind of get away with some of the shithousery that he was getting away with last time we played Austin. I think he really, um, uh, he was he was going for an Oscar on that last game. I think this game, um, he was forced to push more. When you're down two goals, you can't really spend as much time rolling around on the ground. Uh, and he's a good player, so you, you kind of just want to see players, you know, play the game straightforward. But, you know, I understand they were a new team trying to hold their lead. Um, I would say a very convincing oh, and, victory overall.
1: Well, and wasn't Dominguez just fined for diving in, in the previous match prior to, to coming to Minnesota, I think? Yes. Um, and so while, I, while I'm guessing that was an insignificant amount to him, uh, it still probably didn't hurt to have that, that reminder that, uh, you know, got to play the game the right it's way. The it's the
0: acknowledgement. It's the acknowledgement that, um, you know, just that we know that you have a tendency to dive, so don't try it. Which I appreciate because I think, you know, the, the whole diving situation is such a cycle. And it's an unfortunate cycle because players dive because when players don't dive, they don't always get calls. Just in the Euros, there was a situation where I believe it was uh, Romelu Lukaku was trying to stay on his feet and then didn't get a call even though he was clearly fouled. And then you see players go, okay, well, if he's going to stay on his feet and try his best, why do that when I can just drop immediately? So I do like when refs can go ahead and go, look, you weren't even touched by that guy. We can see it in slow motion replay. You clearly jumped. Um, You know, you're going to get a yellow card or fine or something. You know, we're going to warn you because this game will always have some degree of flopping or diving or whatever you want to call it. And that's fine by me. It's more just the super egregious, like, nobody even touched you, dude. You're not even close to it. You're just trying to get the call. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my pedestal right there, you know. Moving on, we also had a bit of a revelation where Adrian used all five substitutions. And if I may say so myself, in pretty uh, brisk succession. You know, we we didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of, you know, you'll see the Adrian Heath substitution where it's uh, the 87th minute, 85th minute where it's like, okay, what are we doing here? You know, uh, in the 65th minute, Adrian Unu comes out, Ja'Cory Hayes comes on. Not what you would call a like-for-like substitution, but I don't mind it. What did you think when we, when we saw a striker get subbed out for a midfielder?
1: I was on bored with it. I think, I think they were looking for a little more control in the midfield of the match. It seemed like Austin was starting to get forward a little more. Um, and so adding an extra body to the midfield, um, I think was a, was a, was a reasonable choice. I mean, obviously we see Ramon Abula enter the match, uh, in the 76th minute. Uh, so just 10 minutes later, uh, coming in for, for Reynoso so that we have a striker back on the pitch at that point.
0: Which I think kind of balanced it out. Um, I, I like the move, too. You know, honestly, I am always in favor. We are a very Jacory, pro Jacori Hayes podcast over here. Um, what he brings to the team, whether it's as a starter, as a sub, he brings a ton of effort, a ton of energy, and, t- you know, balance on both sides of the ball. He's a player who's not going to mess up defensively. He's not really going to make any bad moves offensively. You can trust him to ping a nice pass or get a nice shot off. Um, he makes smart choices. And, and the tuck just brings that kind of hard-nosed, blue-collar, lunch-pail-to-work sort of Minnesota mentality that I know we try to tell ourselves that we are. You know, I mean, some of us aren't. I'm, you know, I don't know if I'd say I'm hard-nosed. just kind of have a big nose, but that's, you, know, you can probably tell by my nasally voice. Um, mo- <laughs> moving on. So Ramon, Ramon Abula comes on. Then we swap out Franco Fragapane for Justin McMaster. And then later, um, Ozzy Alonso comes on for Mettonier and uh, Juan Aguadelo in for Nico Hansen. So, out of those substitutions, you know, one of the big things that strikes me is we're still seeing Reynoso getting targeted. You know, start of the game, end of the game, he's still getting chipped left and right. um, And that's just as apparent. You know, in the Portland Timbers game that we'll talk about later, I was very frustrated because what's annoying to me is seeing fans of the other team. And a quick caveat is that I I like being annoyed. So it's, you know, just it's a bad cycle for myself, but it's addicting. But fans of the other team for the Portland Timbers game were saying, oh, I'm sick of Reynoso's antics. Like what antics? Like he's getting kicked in the like you can pretty obviously see he's getting stepped on, kicked, etc. You know, if he's going to fall after getting hit, that's reasonable. If you're flopping when no one touches you, eh, that's just, you know, I, I don't know. It's annoying to me. I don't know. Do you do you have an observation about Reynoso and his uh f- the physical nature in which he is being defended currently?
1: Yeah, I I think I think I'm I'm with you in a large part. I think there are times where he will exaggerate a thing a little more but it's it's never there's no contact and i'm gonna act like there's contact it's always there's contact and i'm gonna act like this was a little heavier than it it really maybe was and so those are the ones that don't bother me as much
0: i think yeah Boston. with this thought we had 12 shots only three of which were on target and two of those three were goals if this team can start finding consistent accuracy, which you're led to believe is probably the case. I know our, ex, our XG was probably higher than two on this one. Um, I believe I'm, I might be making that up, but this is a team that has a lot of firepower and not just a lot of firepower, a lot of defensive strength too. I know Chase Gasper has been maligned a bit. I know our center backs have been kind of a revolving door for a bit, but right now, as of today, the highest-ranked goalkeeper for save percentage is Tyler Miller, which I would not have expected. I mean, did, did you see that coming, Stefan?
1: I, I did not. I know he's been solid, but I, I wasn't expecting a, a number quite so high.
0: It, it is truly impressive because he's faced some really nice shots and some good teams. Um, we have quite the... The keeper controversy on our hands. And we went into the season, you know, I myself purchasing a Dane St. Clair Jersey thinking that DSC would probably be the guy to hold it. But with the shot stopping that Tyler has done so far and with the distribution he has, which it's not always perfect, but it's a little bit better than Dane's and he's got a boot of a leg on him when, when need be. Um, it's going to be a really tough choice when Dane comes back. I mean, how do you decide that?
1: Flip a coin. I, I don't. I don't know. It's it's really difficult um, because you want to make sure that Dane is still getting minutes. Uh, he's a young keeper and, and he needs to be seeing opportunities as often as he can to continue growing. But Tyler is just playing so well that it's it's hard to bench a guy or to or to even give a guy a night off um, when you when he's that locked in. Um, and so I. Uh, yeah, I I would not want to be in the coaching staff's position
0: having to make that choice. I saw somebody on the timeline saying something to the effect of, yeah, you should just, you know, bench Tyler when he has his first bad game. And it's like, that's not a good idea either, because then you just wreck his... Now they're going into every game thinking, oh, I could get yanked. You, You know, goalkeepers are a very unique breed, and it's a lot of mental balance to it. You can have talented goalkeepers who just aren't, there mentally. Same with strikers, too. Um, confidence is a big part of it. And so I don't personally believe that should be our strategy either. But truthfully, I don't have a better solution. So I'm here for riding Tyler Miller out, you know, for the time being. And then um, when Dane comes back, we'll have to figure it out.
1: Yeah, we shall see.
0: We shall see. So moving on, Minnesota United beats Austin FC. We keep the undefeated run to five games, and now we move on to Portland. So, did you stay up for the Portland game? I did. Ow. I'm a bit of a night owl. Did, I can you have, it. did you have a strategy? You're also just out of college, too, so it's way easier for you to stay up.
1: Yeah, no, it actually didn't take me that far past my normal bedtime. So, I was, <laughs> I was ready to rock, um, and you know, it, it was late. It was, it was definitely a late night, especially with nine minutes of added time in the second half. Um, but, um, yeah, I just kind of, kind of went with it.
0: It's funny how, like, I, I kid you not, I'm not even trying to be like that kind of old guy or whatever, but like in my early twenties, I mean, staying up till three was not an issue. And then like waking up at seven thirty, like I could I could do it. I could be fine. Now, like, I'm 28, almost 29, and I get to 11.30 and I just start uh, drooping. You know, I just, I can't do anything. It's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for sure. So uh, the fact that they pushed it to 10.30, I was like, all right, let's, you know, it better be like a real 10.30 kickoff, you know. But uh, I stayed up, you know, managed to make it all the way through the game. I will say towards the, like, Seventh minute of the nine minutes of extra time, I was doing that. You know, one eye starts to close, sort of half asleep. <laughs> you know, when you're like in a really early class yep. if you're in college, or just anytime you're really tired but you can't fall asleep, you get like one eye starts to close, and you're like, oh no, here it goes. You know, you know you're about to fall asleep. I was getting that. Um, yeah. So, and obviously I was nervous too because Portland was was starting to surge a little bit um, towards the end as well. Mm-hmm. So. Portland, you know, those of you who stayed up, I commend you. Um, we uh, start the game and immediately have quite the jolt that wakes us up. Um, two minutes in, actually, I think it was like 1 minute 36 seconds, we had Adriano new scoring the sole goal of the game um, with some just beautiful combination play. I mean, it, that made it worth it. No matter what, like, that was just... Exactly what you want to see out of the pieces that we've brought in and play-wise, you know, the combination between Reynoso's really nice pass to Fragapane's really nice run and then also decision to cut it in, I mean, that's a tough pass on the run Mm -hmm. right to who knew who just slots it right in. I mean, you don't even have to be a skilled striker, although I appreciate that, you know, cool as you can like, cool as you can be, cool as you can... Whatever you can be cool about, he's did that cool-like. Cool as a cucumber. Cool as a... There we go. There it is. How do you say cucumber in French?
1: Don't ask me. Uh, I was hoping you would know.
0: All right. So that was the big thing to start the game. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but I, I have a lot of respect for the Portland Timbers. I think they are a very, very talented team. I came away with... You know, one of the biggest things on a broad scale of the Timbers was, uh, Claudio Bravo is kind of a baller. Um, their left back, he, he is really impressive. Mm -hmm. And I was like watching the whole time. It's funny, like later finding out that apparently Claudio Bravo kind of has the Chase Gasper vibe with their fan base, I guess. Like they don't, he has up really up and down games. Um, I thought he had a tremendous game against us. He was everywhere. Um, that was kind of the guy who stood out for me. Did you have a Portland player who really stood out as like, oh man, they're just wrecking the game for us.
1: Yeah. I was going to pick out Bravo. And I also, every time I watch Eric Williamson play, I'm really impressed by him. He's one of those He just does so much so well.
0: Yeah. The whole time, the whole time you're just like, can you knock it off, dude? Like he, he took a while to get into the game. I thought at first I remember thinking like, all right, like that's not that great. Um, but throughout the end of the first half and a lot of the second half, Eric Williamson was on it.
1: Yeah, and I think a part of that was just, you know, Portland was dealing with, I think, a lot of injuries, and they had a couple players gone for for Copa America, and this was by no means their full-strength lineup, but they came out rather defensively um, in sort of like a 5-3-2 shape almost, Um, and I... You know, as I was watching the first half, the thing I kept noticing is that their front two of of Valeri and Abobese would get forward, but they wouldn't have enough support um, And what really changed towards the end of the first half and and into the second half that that turned the tide for them um, was the fullbacks, Bravo and Van Rankin getting forward, but also more of the midfielders stepping forward to put pressure on Minnesota's back line, and and Williamson was a big part of that.
0: Yeah, they really... um... They started putting that pressure on the second half, and it, it was it was aggressive. Steve Clark had a really good game as well. I mean you know they say it's standing on your head for goalies you know and I can't think of a more accurate definition. He was absolutely everywhere he saved the shots he needs to save, and then he also sh- saved some shots that was like how do you you know how do you get your hand on that?" He really really impressed me um and and kept the game from being a much larger deficit. On the flip side, yeah. as somebody who is really impressed normally with Jeremy Obobese and Diego Valeri, um, they had 22 shots and only two of them were on target. I mean, they could not buy a shot on goal for their, like, they had opportunities left and right and they just skied them. And so, you know, if you're the Portland Timbers, you gotta be looking at this team going, we're a talented, talented group we have to figure out what our, you know, finicky shots are about, you know, why are we shooting them over the crossbar when we're eight yards out, you know?
1: I was going to say, uh, to, to touch on Steve Clark briefly, I, I looked up the stats and he only had four saves, but it felt like every single one of them was massive. Um, and, and, you know, we, we put up 1.9 XG in the game And or actually no, we put up 2.5 xg. uh, Sorry, and he held us to one goal, um, which is just a a really impressive performance from a keeper. Yeah, it um, really is for sure.
0: Do they count? Do you know if they count post shots as a shot on goal or on target?
1: No, that's uh, hits the post. It's off target.
0: Okay, interesting. All right, so then we have five. So if he had, yeah. Oh. We had five shots on target. Four of them were saved. One was a goal. Got it. Okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, so he played out of his mind. Uh, Overall, you get three points away at Portland Timbers. and all of a sudden, we we clawed our way up to a playoff spot. I mean, overall, Mm -hmm. game-wise, you can't ask for more. An ideal situation game-wise, not necessarily the best... uh, extracurriculars we've seen. Stefan, do you want to share for our listeners who didn't watch the game or maybe did watch the game and want some more additional information on what went down during the Portland Timbers game?
1: Yeah. Um, so in the 62nd minute of the match, um, Diego Chara um, made what looked to my eye initially uh, a slightly heavy challenge on Franco Fragapane. Um The referee didn't call a foul. Um, or anything and and Fragapane seemed relatively upset about that um and after getting up as the play is moving the other direction uh Fragapane jogs past a Portland player who I think was Diego Valeri I couldn't quite tell um towards uh Diego Chara um and after Fragapane runs past Chara Chara almost immediately turns and walks over to the referee with his hand raised, like clearly trying to signal to get his attention. Um, and at the next stop of play, when the ball goes out, uh, the ref calls a halt to the match. Um, and so to read directly from the, uh, the pro statement um, about, about this situation, um, in the 64th minute of the match between the Portland Timbers and Minnesota United FC on June 26th, an allegation of a racist comment directed towards a Portland Timbers player was made. The referee did not witness or hear the comment and therefore was unable to issue any disciplinary action. The referee convened with the other match officials who confirmed that they had not witnessed or heard the alleged comment. The referee then went a step further to inform captains of both teams that he was aware of the allegation, could not issue a sanction, but will be including the incident in his official match report to initiate further investigation. In this instance, the referee acted appropriately in accordance with the annual diversity and anti-discrimination training protocols, which all pro match officials are required to participate in each season to effectively identify and respond to discrimination of any kind during competition." Um, So that is uh, what happens, what happened during the match. Um, The referee brought a group of players together, which was Diego Valeri, Diego Chara, uh, will Trapp and Michael Boxall, um, as he sort of explained the situation and, and did his best to explain why he couldn't issue any sanction at the time. Um, and then I will also add, just to note, um, Deo Chara did actually pick up a yellow card later in the match for a challenge on Franco Fragapone. Um But in rewatching the match, it was honestly a very light yellow, and I... I Think there is no reason to assume any form of malicious intent of any kind. Um, so yeah.
0: So let's start with. So there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of things going out there. Conjecture, assumptions, allegations, etc. And something that I value and respect about you, at oh Alex. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna you Alex for a second. Wow. It's like calling your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend's name. That's that's bad luck. Stephan, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. The thing I value about you, Stefan, is that you are a very level-headed person who is very analytical. You're very methodical about what are my assumptions, what are my preconceived um, biases and, and opinions, what is the factual situation. So I have two questions, you know, that I would like to ask you. I'll answer them as well because obviously I want to answer too. But mm-hmm. in the scenario, so... Let's take both of our teams out of it. Player A claims that player B said something discriminatory, racist, towards them. Nobody else has heard it. Player B denies it. What is the, in your mind, best uh, action for the referee to take? I know it's a tough one, so I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Um, and I think um, the, the protocol that, that Pro lays out um, in their statement that I just read, I think makes a lot of sense in, in that you are made aware of the, an incident, you do your best to gather all possible information you can at the time, and with what information you have, you make the best decision that you can. Um, and I, I think... The difficulty is is that you don't want to assume, under any circumstances, that a player who believes they have been subject to discriminatory conduct would be lying for any reason. and And I think even suggesting that is really negative um, and and not not a, not a good thing to be doing. But at the same time, it's really hard to um, apply a punishment of any kind if that is the only evidence that you have.
0: Um, Again, clarifying, we're talking in-game only. In this scenario, this is just what can the refs do in-game. Well, I want to make that really clear because that's important to this conversation. So, mm-hmm. because I saw a lot of people, just to jump in, I saw a lot of people on social media furious that the game didn't stop, that they didn't, you know, um, walk off the field, that they didn't uh, give a red card to Franco Fragapane. So, putting that in mind, continue.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess to, to just elaborate on that, I, I have always looked at the role of a referee or an umpire I was a baseball umpire personally for uh for a few years and I've always looked at the job of a referee as to call and officiate the game that they see as best as they can and so when there's something that you don't see that's a really difficult position to be in Um, and there's not really an easy answer for for what to do
0: agreed Agreed. I, I will follow up by saying I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think given what was there, the ref, I believe, made the appropriate in-game actions. I believe he stopped the game. He listened to the player who had made the claim. He convened with you know the player and the two captains of each team. He talked to his other refs. And then in-game... Unfortunately, and I, I, I say this with so much um, trepidation almost because I really don't want to make light or you know do away with the significance and the gravity of racist comments. But in game, if nobody else heard it, no other refs heard it, no other players that they can find at the time, you know, they kind of talked to a couple of guys. if nobody else had heard it, you know, you can't just give... You know, I saw people saying Fragapani should have gotten a red card. Well, okay. I believe Diego Chara. You know, Diego Chara... And I don't believe people would just make this up. But the problem is, if you set the precedent that anyone claiming a certain thing is automatically, unequivocally, unequivocally believed, and if you're in a close game and a player who doesn't have the integrity of a Diego Chara, because Diego Chara is a, is a legend, but somebody who may not have that same integrity wants to get an advantage, what would hypothetically, given that precedent, what would stop that player from saying, oh, so-and-so, oh, their best player who just you know tackled me, yeah, he said something, so-and-so. Now, I'm not saying that somebody would want to do that. There are so many reasonable people in this world but there are unreasonable people and there are people who want every competitive advantage. And so to set the precedent of in game, how does a ref act? I think the referee acted appropriately, which sounds like you would agree as well.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that these referees are all working off of rules and protocols that are laid out. Um, And as far as they've been presented to me, my understanding is that the referee followed all of the protocols that he could um, and did effectively what his employer said he is supposed to do in this situation. And so it's it's difficult to say that he should have done
0: much else. I agree. So the next follow-up question, and I actually, I asked this on um, Twitter on my my handle, Cold North Rants, and it turned into a bit of a firestorm. I actually walked away for a little bit because I was doing some yard work with my wife and mom um, for a bit, so I hope nobody feels like I was just ignoring the conversation, but a um, lot of fiery opinions around, hypothetically, if the league determines that there's no conclusive video or audio evidence, and, you know, Portland says... Diego believes that X Y Z was said, and Minnesota says Fragapane claims that he didn't say anything of that nature. What is the appropriate action for the team to do?
1: Yeah, um, I think
0: that's a hard. And interim, by the way, it, it, I, I'm giving you the hard questions on your first time here, so I apologize. This is a a super unfortunate scenario and, and it, it's such a shame that, a you know, anyone has to feel like they've been, um, you know, insulted racially or otherwise. It, it's just, it's not what we want this game to be. It, it's ugly and gross and I, I don't want any part of it. So sorry, Stefan for throwing you into this right away. Agreed. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I, I just want to second everything Grant just said. Um, but i think until we have a verdict of some kind from the league uh in in whatever interim period that is whether that includes this saturday's match against san jose or extends even further to the the following wednesday match against colorado i think in the interim it makes the most sense to sit the player while they're under investigation for an accusation like this um, or, an, or an allegation like this, I should say. Agreed. Um, if the league is inconclusive and there's not, I, I it becomes really difficult. And I, I did read through some of the re- replies um, to to your, your tweet uh, that, that provoked a little bit of a firestorm. And I, I, I think I appreciated some of the, um, some of the, Uh, Twitter users uh, who suggested that finding the opportunity to have Chara and Fragapane sit down with a mediator or captains from each of their teams um, to discuss, talk about, attempt to reconcile um, and understand, you know, what, what, you know, so Franco knows what Diego heard um, and so Franco can clarify what, what he believes he said. And, and something of that sort, I think, would be a positive step. Um, and then I would also, we play Portland again in late July. Um, and I think you would have to really strongly consider whether playing Fragapane in that match is worth it. Um, not necessarily for every match against Portland ever going forward, But at least for the next match, um, to consider whether playing him, what, what message playing Franco in that game would send and what possible escalation that could lead to, uh, depending on where everyone stands by that point. Um, it's not an easy thing to, to come up with a decision, especially if all you have is inconclusive evidence, um. And so I think you just have to, to find what you think is, is the best way to proceed.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate the thought you put into that question. I, it, it's such a tricky scenario. Um, and I think we, we fall on the same side of the fence in regards to, you know, I fully expect, realistically, um, the league and the team, you know, either team, to conclude the investigation as inconclusive because I think the moment you saw Franco talking to Diego Chara, it was really just them. It was a very loud stadium. It was packed full of Portland fans. Mm -hmm. There weren't really any cameras that caught what Franco was saying. There weren't any mics nearby him. So it, it will probably end up being inconclusive. And no matter what comes down to that, I I think you do still have a chance as Minnesota United to make the right stand. And in my opinion, it's not about cutting a player. It's not about suspending a player that just, I, I do think he should be suspended, but we'll get to that. But that just puts anger into somebody's heart instead of the root of the problem. What did you say or what did Diego Chara hear? What did you mean by it? What does it mean to Diego Chara? And then having that moment to educate, you know, if he said this or even if he Mm -hmm. didn't, what were your comments misconstrued as and why you should be more mindful of what you're saying. And I think you have the opportunity for a player, you know, who is coming into a league with so many different um, nationalities and cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds. And you have a chance to go, look, this is what we stand for. This is what we don't stand for. If you're on board. You know, I think he should have a little bit of a suspension. Just e- even if it's inconclusive, just to say that, look, even the hint of impropriety, so to speak, even even the notion of it, we won't stand for. You know, so yeah, you're mm-hmm. gonna be suspended for a couple of games and the Portland game, um, and then you you know have to agree to doing some type of um, cultural or racial understanding class. And then from there, you know, we'll move on, we'll grow, we will become a better person, a better team, a more understanding team. If if the player in question, if Franco, you know, says, I'm not about that, I, I don't really want to do that, then you part ways. Because that to me, that would be the largest moment of what a player is about. Because if somebody accused me hypothetically of Grant, somebody thought you said something really racist, I would go, I am so sorry. I absolutely don't want anyone to think that. I don't want anyone to, to feel like I have, you know uh, disparaged them in some way. So what steps can I take to do to, to make it right? If you're not willing to take those steps, whether or not you meant to say something wrong, if you're not willing to take those steps to at least rectify the situation and correct it, then I think that's what a person's character, that's when a person's character is revealed. So that's where I'm coming from. Sorry if that was a ramble, but in the end, if he's willing to go, look, even if I didn't mean it that way, he took it that way. And yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like that. Enroll me in these classes Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. That's the kind of person I want on my team. If he goes, I'm not interested, then that's a player I don't want on my team. And that's where I see, you know, cutting ties. If somebody's unwilling to learn, to educate themselves, to get better.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really well thought-out um, next steps, and I think the, the education piece is really key, um, both in this situation um, for Fragapane um, and any other players that end up involved in situations like these. Um, but also, I think it it should be um, a reminder to the league to take a really close look at what your policies are for new signings. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
1: you work a new job with any company. There's an employee handbook and you've got a whole load of onboarding. This is what's okay, this is what's what's not okay. That for a lot of us is, a lot of it's probably common knowledge. But when you're entering a league that is so diverse and multicultural with players coming from all around the globe, finding some sort of way to introduce people to the environment that they're going to be in and what is and is not okay in that environment is really important. Um, so taking some sort of step to have resources available for players entering MLS mm-hmm. um, to, to learn and to be prepared for that is I think really important. And also important to have those resources accessible in a variety of languages. Um, because oh, of course, you know, there are a lot of Spanish peaking players in, in MLS. There's a whole wide variety of other languages spoken by the players of major league soccer. And so being able to connect with people from whatever their background may be, um, and really clearly outline what the expectations are as a player representing an MLS team, but also beyond that as a player representing Minnesota United, um, is, I think, a really crucial uh, next step to
0: take. Agreed. I think one of the biggest frustrations I had is, you know, because the ref didn't issue, like, a red carb or stop the game immediately, you know, people are getting all hissy and saying on Twitter, oh, so much for, you know, the, the league tagline of no room for racism. But if you're really being a thoughtful and um, proactive league, you are the no room for racism tag is not just punitive. It's not just punishment. It's also forethought and education ahead of time. And so like you're saying, Stefan, I really think, you know, when you onboard players into this league, talking about the league values, you know, what do we allow? What do we not allow? What is, you know, it is unacceptable to make racial comments toward another player and and we won't stand for it. And if you make those comments and we hear those allegations, there will be significant punishments. I think that's the kind of step and, and not just, you know, oh, you'll be in trouble, but also why is it just wrong? You know, why is it just not correct? Because mm-hmm. I think it's easy for us. You know, a lot of us are in the same sphere. Most of us are from Minnesota. Most of us have grown up in similar backgrounds, not all of us. But so all of us in this group tend to feel like, yeah, we're all on the same page. And then you get somebody from a different country or a different culture or a different nationality and all of a sudden things start looking different and they don't know what we're already assuming is that, yeah, that's that's a given. That's an unspoken rule. You don't say that. You don't do that. So I think there's so much of an education opportunity here, but also not a situation where we need to be, you know, avoiding punishment. I think there does need to be something, even if it's inconclusive, because I think it will. I don't think uh, a whispered comment will be able to be proven in a, a loud stadium. So, I mean, with that, I, well, I guess...
1: And the other the other thing I, I just want to add is as for the reason why I think it will be inclusive is as I mentioned, the player, the only other player who's even remotely near Fragapane and, and Chara at around the point where it seems like uh, whatever comment um, was made or, or was heard the only player that's anywhere close to there is Diego Valeri. And I don't think the game would have continued if Valeri was a part of that conversation with the ref and had heard it. But because it seemed, because the game continued at that point, I feel relatively comfortable making the assumption that Diego Valeri didn't hear anything. And having looked back at the footage, if Valeri didn't hear anything, I don't think there's anyone else who could have. And so I, I don't know, you know, we, we you mentioned, we have no idea what other camera or microphone angles are available to the league that they might have to, to look at this further. But I don't think you're likely to find another player who will have overheard anything.
0: Agreed. I, I, um, when I which re-watched, just leads me to believe that. When I rewatched the video, um, and again, this is all assumption based off how I'm interpreting Valeri's body language, but his body language was not the the um, his body language was not the body language of somebody who knows a absolute conclusive fact. Like I heard this as well. You've got to punish this guy. It was more like I'm advocating for my guy. You know, because if he heard it, he would be mm-hmm. fired up as well. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I want to make that clear. But what I'm saying is I don't think Valeri heard it. And like you said, if Valeri didn't hear it, no one else is going to yeah. hear it. I also think the people who are well, yeah, and advocating for microphones on players, that's not the point. Because it, it's not about punishment. It's about fixing the root cause. Too many people are like, oh, he's a racist, get him out of here. No, 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 those are people you can fix, you can help their mindsets, and if they refuse to change, then yeah, you cut them from the league, get them out of here. But too many people I think are focused on punishment instead of how do we help people grow into open-minded and connected and uh, healthy individuals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're about to say something and I cut you off, I'm sorry
1: yeah i was just going to add that um in my extremely amateur lip reading uh skills um as the conversation between the referee and a few of the players on the pitch is happening um i think i read valeri's lips saying he heard it as pointing to chara and i'm again i'm taking some assumptions here to get to this point but given the statement that pro provided my impression is that that is a response to Valeri being told that no one else heard it. Mm -hmm. And and so we can't punish anyone. And Valeri's response is, well, he heard it. Um, And so that would, I guess, further support um, my impression that, that Diego Valeri didn't hear what was said.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that was kind of the vibe I was getting as well. And, you know, just like anybody else, we, we don't know anything more than that. Um, to our listeners, I would like to say continue your patience in the sense of um, speed of messaging because I know we all, want, we all want a response. I mean, I know people were clamoring for a statement from the team at 5 a.m. in the morning when they got home off the plane, but it's, it's the balance. I would rather have an accurate and thought-out response than a quick one, a quick snap out. Let the team figure out what's going on Let the league, figure out what's going on. And if something comes out of that, that is unsatisfactory to you, then feel free to weigh in and say, you know, this isn't enough, but I don't think the difference between a team statement, you know, five hours after the fact versus 10 hours after the fact, that doesn't make a difference. You know, it's it's more about what is the team doing actively. Statements are weak. Statements are nothing. It's what are you doing um, to to fix this problem? But with that, uh, Stefan, do you have any more comments about the situation? I think we've beat it to the ground. Uh, I mean, for good reason. For good reason.
1: Yeah, important to discuss, but I think we've we've covered a lot of the thoughts that we have uh, given the evidence that we have at this point.
0: Yeah. Again, absolutely nothing but respect for Diego Chara. I hope that we can find um, an equitable solution and I hope it's a solution that, you know, in the end is comfortable for him because in the end, I believe he heard what he heard and whether or not it was intended by Fragapane, that doesn't change the pain or the insult or the, um, Degradation that he felt, and so I really do hope that we can arrive at a solution that Chara feels comfortable at, because that's that's the point. Um, with there, with that, we're going to take an absolutely abrupt, painful change of topic and go right into listener questions. Which there's no good way to transition from from that conversation, so I'm sorry if this is a little unglamorous. Um, actually. Before we do listener questions, here to rein me in. Stefan, do you have any thoughts on Minnesota United versus (laughs) Colorado? Uh,
1: Do you mean San Jose? Colorado,
0: I actually meant San Jose. I was just talking with somebody about the Colorado game, and so I I don't know why I had that in my head. Yes, I do mean San Jose. And actually, you know what? How about this? let's go with the first listener question that'll lead us right in that conversation. Uh, Nick at Hey underscore Gundy says, given our success against San Jose, not Colorado, given our success against San Jose in the past and with the way the boys are playing and moving the ball around the final third, what is your over under for Minnesota United goals scored on Saturday? Stefan, take it away. Um,
1: I, I have been debating whether or not to set this at, at either two-and-a-half or three. Um, I We have had such great success against San Jose, and especially Matias Almeida coached San Jose. Um, and I think that's a in large part um, a result of the quality of our center backs uh, because Almeida's man-marking pressing system that San Jose makes use of tends to leave – one center back unmarked and so that center back has space to dribble and to push forward and we've had in boxall in debasi and in opara uh, when he was healthy a group of center backs that are really comfortable stepping forward with their ball at their feet Um, and that's led to a lot of success against san jose um so i i would say i am i am expecting the loons to score at least two and maybe more uh, against San
0: Jose So, this forgive my ignorance, but are they still doing that man marking scheme? They still haven't given it up? <laughs> okay. Yes. So, yep. given They're that you you look at our center back options, we have Michael Boxall, who is pretty solid on the ball. We have um, mm-hmm. Baki Debasi, who is also very solid on the ball. And you have Coming back hypothetically, I don't. I'm not sure if he'll be back, but Yuka Wrightula, who had a very good Euro run with passes and crosses and and did very well on the ball. So any three of those center backs, um, being the open man, I would feel very comfortable with the loons getting two to three. I I am probably the last person you want to ask because I think I'm being. Objective, but I'm probably really biased because I think it's going to be 3-0 or 3-1. That's my prediction against against uh, San Jose.
1: 3-1 was the number I had in my head, and I'll just add from uh, Jerry Zagoda earlier today, Jan Gregors and Yuka Raitala are back from the European Championships and are training with the team this morning. Um, however, Robin Ludd is in Helsinki. And Roman Metaner is in France, both for appointments to get their U.S. green cards. So their status for Saturday's match against San Jose is still
0: complicated.
1: Complicated. Um, so, yeah. And so I think th- the thing that I will be looking for is if both of those players aren't back, I would guess we see Hassani Dotson played it right back to fill in for Metaner and then Jan Gregor step into the midfield alongside Will Trapp. Um,
0: I wouldn't as be surprised seeing Jacory in the eight.
1: That's also possible. If, I think it, it'll depend on, um, I guess, how comfortable you are with, with Gregor stepping back into the team this quickly after returning from the European Championships. And I know he didn't get a yeah, lot those of minutes with there. Slovakia, and so I guess it may be a question of, of, of where his match fitness is at. Um, so maybe you, you start with Hayes for 60 to 65 minutes and then uh, Gregish closes out the game or, or something of that sort uh, if you still want to get him minutes for and sure. get him back on the field. To,
0: to that point, uh, we had Nathan Cummings, which is Nathan C93091935. Well, oh, that is rolls right off the tongue, Nathan. Uh, what is your starting lineup for Saturday assuming everyone is back from the euros and healthy? So we're assuming everyone's back from the euros but also we know Robin Lude might not be in we know Mettineir might be doing his green card thing which in the long run is awesome that we got two more impact players getting green cards that's Baller thank mm-hmm. you guys. they <laughs> woo,
1: that is that's huge. I have some roster yeah, notes that yeah. we can talk about a little later so, with regards to that, So what is that, your actually? starting
0: lineup? Let's assume Lude and Metonier probably don't make it.
1: Okay. Um, I'll go with Tyler Miller in goal. Um, I'm going to go the back line. We'll go Chase Gasper at left back. Uh, Debasi left center back. Boxall right center back. Dotson at right back. Uh, the six and the eight will go with Will Trapp. And given your suggestion, I think we're oh, actually yeah. going to roll with Ja'Cory Hayes. Um, and then the front four, uh, Unu and Reynoso are the obvious two. And then I would go with, I think, Nico Hansen and Ethan Finley on the two wings. That would be what I would roll out with at this point. So
0: I'm for sure not going to answer how Heath is thinking but Nathan did ask, what's my starting lineup? So this is not a prediction. Mm-hmm. This is what I would want to do. I would roll out Chase Gasper, Baki Debasi. We still think Michael Boxall's available, right? You said Michael Boxall. Yeah, okay.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, also, per Jerry's Gota, Boxall will leave for the Tokyo Olympics uh, with his New Zealand national team after next okay. Wednesday's game against Colorado.
0: What a good—hey— Kudos to Boxall, right? Like, that dude deserves it. Good for him. Um, So, Boxall's in. So, it's yeah. Chase, Debassy, Boxall. And then on the right, I would go DJ Taylor. Let's chop it up a little bit. Let's get a little feisty, okay? DJ Taylor. Jan Gregoosh, I. So, I have his jersey. I'm a Jan fan. But I just see the chemistry that Dotson and Trap and Reynoso are starting to build. And so I would maybe keep that three. Okay. You know, you got that kind of midfield triangle. And then um, your front three, I would agree with. I would say Unu. Uh, on the left, I would say Nico Hansen. On the right, I would say Ethan Finley. And then I would roll with that. If you need subs, I would probably go McMaster and then maybe Wea or something. You know, we, we're.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say this could be a good game to get Waya a look, if it goes as well as Grant and I think it think it might. Um, if we're up up a couple goals late in the game, um, I would love to see Tim well, and Weah I'm get not, on the pitch. I'm
0: really not trying to be.
1: Or Pat, you Patrick Tim Weah? Weah, I should say.
0: I mean, okay. First of all, I it's did. the <laughs> dumb run curse that you're gonna say someone's name wrong. You didn't say it incorrectly, just the wrong person. But. Um, so I'm not trying to be cocky, you know, like we were on the bottom just a couple games ago as well, but San Jose is really not doing super great. I mean, really they're at a negative eight goal differential. They're, they're really not where they need to be. Um, if we're going to have a game where we're making a statement about mm. Franco Fraga and we want to use some players, I think this is a way on McMaster game. Even if we don't win it, I think we for sure tie it. And Even if we lose it, we're we're on a six-game undefeated streak. like Not that we should be giving up points, but I think this is a good game, uh, given the situation that's around, to use some younger guys, use some um, other people in the lineup. Moving on, we have, to your point, and this might be the roster section for you, Alex McCracken at up the loons. Never heard of that guy. He says, how do we approach Boxy's absence? Sounding like it could be as few as two and as many as seven matches. Is it a straight swap for Ritala? Never heard of him, Alex. Who's that guy? Coleman, something more involved? Discuss, which seems a little pushy also. What does this guy think he is? You know, He leaves the pod for one day. Uh, Alex, you, you get to make the decisions when you're on the pod. Uh, but we'll answer your question. Stefan, what do you think? I'm just yeah. kidding. Alex, we miss you. We'd love to have well, you so here.
1: Well, I, so I went down, I went through and... and yeah, we yeah, no, I'd love to be here to join you too. Um, yeah, so I went through and, and wrote down the matches and, and what our schedule looks like during sort of the time frame of the Olympics. Um, so we have the 18th of July against Seattle, the 24th of July against Portland, the 28th against uh, Los Angeles FC, the 31st against Vancouver. So I think if I'm counting things right, I think it it seems rather likely that Boxall will miss all four of those matches, especially given that he's likely going to have to quarantine when he returns from Tokyo for at least a small period of time and then after that there's an august 7th against houston which he could maybe be back for and an august 14th against the galaxy which i feel relatively confident in saying he will be back for because the gold medal match for men's soccer at the olympics is the seventh and uh not to throw shade at new zealand i i tend to believe they probably won't be involved in that gold medal match um so I, I, I kind of see him being back at least by not the Not unless Boxall the drags
0: them kicking so and that would be screaming all the way five to like the semifinal. Just, he's scoring goals, he's... You never bummer know. bummer is, um... I kind of was hoping, what is it, Nate Billingsley would have been called up too, but he, I guess, is not getting the attention he probably should.
1: Yeah, I guess not. Um... But so with that four or five matches without Boxall, because we have a bunch of players sent out on loan, our center back depth chart for that match of players that Minnesota United has used at center back before is Baki Debasi, Yuka Raitala, and Brent Coleman. And that's it. Um, Mon- Callum Montgomery and Nabi Kibanguchi are both currently out on loan as center back options. So the team could recall one of those two players. Um, I believe I read somewhere that those players would also have to quarantine upon their return, but with the first match, still missing being the 18th against Seattle, um, they would have plenty of time to make a decision on that. Of the players we currently have available, I would probably say that Debasi and Raitola is our best center-back pairing, um, although that is two left-footed players. Raitola also played at right-wing right wing back with the Finnish national team, and so I have Pretty strong amount of confidence that he's he can play on the right side of the field without any issues. Um, that said, with the players out on loan that we currently have, Minnesota United does have an open senior roster spot, and we also still have Ike Apara on the on the roster, so that is potentially an opening or two. I would be potentially interested in the team looking into targeting a new center back, potentially an international center back, given that Nair and Lud may be picking up green cards and potentially a center back filling the new under 22 initiative rule Um, and look for someone who we think could at the very least compete with Reitela and Kallman for that next center back spot beyond behind Boxall and Debasi at this stage um, and see if we can find someone. Uh, who would fit that role and give us another option to consider, especially if we don't think we're comfortable playing Montgomery or Kevin Gucci at this point. Um, Because if we're not comfortable playing either of those guys, I think we probably need an extra body. Um, And so that would be something that I would be pretty interested in the team looking into. And I thought about it a little bit, and I wonder if potentially going back to one of the French leagues, would make sense to look for a player there potentially in part because we know they're dealing with some financial issues in, in France with, with soccer, but also because this player would likely, at least for the time being, slot in directly between both two French-speaking players in Baki de Bassi and Roman Metiner. And so adding another French-speaking player to the back line, having those two players, two veterans next to that player, uh, to potentially coach them through any uh, appearances, I think could be an interesting move to consider. Because I also wrote down the ages of all of our center backs right now and how old they'll be at the end of the season. At the end of this season, Michael Boxall will be 33. Baki Dabasi will be 32. Ike Opara will be 32. Yuka Reitala will be 33. Brent Coleman will be 31. And that leaves just Nabi Kimiguchi at 23 and Cal Montgomery at 24. And so our center back group is really pretty old. Which is has been very beneficial for us because they've, they're veterans. They've performed extremely well thus far. Um, but adding some youth to the mix, I think, would be a smart move to make if they if the team only decides to make maybe one move in the summer.
0: And way. far more organized than I am. So kudos to you. Um, you know, really appreciate the the back the back work you've done on this. Um, you know, if it's my first choice to replace Boxel, I definitely think on the roster, I would want to see um, Reitzel probably fit that spot first. You know, I, I think Coleman. you know, all political opinions that I don't agree with aside, I think Coleman is like a fine, emergency, tall center back who can occupy space, and he's okay. Um, Yuka Reitzla I think, has a higher ceiling, is just a little bit smarter defensively, a little bit better of a player. I love your thought process about bringing somebody new in. I think you still want to see guys who are already on the roster getting opportunities. So if we recall Callum or Nabi, um, that works great for me. But if we happen to pull some new French center back in, you know, some dude from PSG or whatever, uh, that would be great. I would love that. You know, no, no complaints here, right? Um, all jokes aside... It's really cool to see, you know, the, the web of connections with this team. So you're starting to see this team be heavily influenced by two big veins, which is Boca Juniors and um, the French side. So you've got Metonier and Adriano Nou and Baky Debassi And if you're pulling your players from for Major League Soccer from Ligue 1 and... Boca Juniors. That's a pretty freaking good team. Like no complaints here. Let's, let's fill the whole roster with Ligoon players and Boca Junior players. Like fine by me. Um, so yeah, keep, you know, if you listen to any of the sound of the loons, I don't know if you watched the last one with, um, Mark Watson on it. He was talking about how much Adrian Unu wanted to be on the team because Baki Debassi and Metnir made the, um, team sound so good. And in the same vein, same with Franco Fragapane and Ramon Avila, um, Reynoso made the team sound so fun and so good, and they wanted to play because of his recommendations. If you snowball that, you've got three guys from Boca or three French dudes all saying, come play for us, we all love it, and you'll fit in perfectly. I mean, you've opened a really nice door that I'm, I'm super amped about. I'm super amped about it. You know, think of the despair. If you'll go back with me for one second, Stefan, think of the despair our fan base went through when Luis Samaria decided that he was going to go back to Ecuador and didn't want to, well, we don't know if he didn't want to play for the team, but it didn't work out, right? Whether it was an agent thing or whatever. Think of the despair. And all of a sudden, we get Adriano New. I mean... Am I crazy? I don't,
1: I don't think you're crazy at all. I think we are continuing to see, um, as players who've been mm-hmm. with Minnesota United for a couple years depart, um, the team is, is continually finding avenues, be that in the Argentinian League and with both Boca Juniors, or be that in Ligue 1, um, ways to bring in new players who are, in most cases, better than the player are as good as or better than the player that left before them. You know, going from Darwin Quintero to Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, going from um, Kevin Molino to Fragapane has performed well thus far. Going from Luis Samaria to Adrian Hunu, um, you know, we are continually adding players uh, who are increasing the level and the caliber of Minnesota United, which is really positive to see.
0: I mean, how insane is it? to look at the team that we had in 2017 and say, one day you'll have a player from a Europa League spot, League Un team playing striker. You'll have... I should add,
1: no, a player who played minutes in the Champions League in
0: 2020. Yeah, okay, so there we go. Adrian, who knew? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so that's a a Champions (laughs) League striker, you've got a Boca Juniors number 10 who... At the time, many, many fans for Boca Juniors were furious that they sold Emmanuel Reynoso. You have, you know, two different defensive players from uh, League 1. You've got, um, gosh, who else do we need to add? Like, just top to bottom, there are players that, like, we have, we have uh, uh, two different players who are playing in the Euros, and not just playing in the Euros, but we're doing very well in the Euros. Um that's like surreal to think about. So this team is is really playing well. And then from there, perfect transition into Dan O's question, which it isn't perfect transition, but I'm going to make it. You've got players like Nico Hansen who, you know, contributed massively in the preseason. Dan O asked when those curl when those curling no. Hold on Dan, I got this. It's a tongue twister, but I got it when those amazing curling shots from Hansen start going in, how many goals does he end up with by the end of the year? Which I think is a fantastic question because he's had some good shots that just haven't had luck. He had a couple of different really nice looks. Stefan, how many goals do you think Nico Hansen ends with at the end of
1: 2021? Um, I'm going to go with five. Um, And I I say that, because I think um, it is partially going to become a, a factor of the conclusion with the current Franco-Francopane situation. Like, that will determine how many minutes Nico Hansen is able to get on the field. Um, Fair. But even even with a sort of f- full-strength 11 that we currently have, I think he has clearly asserted himself as the best backup winger on this roster. Uh, I think he stands ahead of Justin McMaster. He stands ahead of Ethan Finley. He stands ahead of all of those other guys. And so I think we're still going to see him getting consistent minutes. And I think those the shots are going to have to start falling at some point, you think. Um, so I think he gets to you know maybe four or
0: five by the end of the year. I mean, out of four games, he's got an XG of 1.5. So, you know, XG isn't a perfect indicator of how many goals you should score but realistically he he probably should have scored one or two i think um i like your i like your prediction of five i think you're right it totally depends on what happens with franco because if there isn't a significant punishment then robin ludes on the right franco's on the left no question about it skill-wise if there is a significant punishment Um, then, of course, it's going to be Nico on the left, which I'm not mad about. Um, It fits with that inverted winger role very well. So I would say I'm assuming there will be some sort of punishment for Franco. I'm assuming that Nico will end the season with, I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say seven. And that's a bold, I know it's not a small amount of goals, realistically. No. But I'm going to say seven because I, I think, he should have had more. I mean, he's right there. He's got almost the Robin Lude effect of he's doing all the little things right. They're just not going in yet. You know, well, I was
1: going to say seven is exactly how many regular season goals. Robin Lud ended up with last season.
0: Oh boy. We found our new person to stand. <laughs> here we go. Uh, here we are. Um, let's see. I think the last of our listener questions is, um, and, and I'll dish this over to you, Stefan, but it's, Uh, from Will, which is at Will underscore Minneapolis, which host is most dedicated to the podcast and why is it Grant? Uh, Um, intriguing question, (laughs) Stefan, what do you think about that?
1: Um, I, I don't know. It's a real, it's a real tough one. You know, I, I can't, I can't slander the man I'm here filling in for either, um, you know, but but Grant did put down his yard work uh, to come record the podcast
0: tonight. So that is true. That that's, is true. I was got be
1: clear evidence of his dedication.
0: I was gardening with my mom and my wife in my new home. Um, so you know, I I put that aside. I said, the people need us. The Dummy Run podcast listeners need us, and so here I am. So I would say it's pretty dedicated. I would also say uh, credit where credits due. Alex went through a long stretch when I was coaching of doing all the editing for the podcasts. So, you know, he, he deserves the, the shout out. Um, he also has to put up with my wild tangents frequently. Um, so there's that. And also, all right, you know, Stefan technically now counts as a host since he is hosting. <laughs> I, he seems pretty po- uh, dedicated to the pod, I would say. So we'll have to get stuff in a, a sticker because I actually have a bunch of those. I need to hand those All right. out. I will,
1: I will. I will need to get one of those. Okay. Um, um, so speaking of dedication, well, I go. Uh, I did. I did some research in preparation for the pod, and so I'm going to bring a question for Grant, uh, and then I'm going mm-hmm. to provide a little bit of, of of my stats background. I studied stats in college. Um, to did to you really? Because that makes so
0: much sense.
1: Yeah, I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. It's technically mathematics, but I was focused on stats.
0: Okay, so Uh, my my favorite conversations (laughs) with Stefan have always been I'll be like, we'll be in the weeds in some Twitter argument being like, this dude sucks or this dude rocks, and I'll be like, actually they have a blank, blank, blank shot creating action with blah, 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 and then I'll shoot it over to Stefan be like, am I wrong? And Stefan will be like well, you didn't really account for XYZ and I'll be like, all right, okay well, I was an English major and I sucked at math (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm mostly just yelling at people online, but let's hear Stefan. Right. What do you got?
1: Okay, so the stat I'm going to bring to you is we we heard a little bit of talk in preseason about how the team wanted Emmanuel Reynoso to score more goals this year, and I think there were mixed reactions to that because everyone looks at him and thinks he's Emmanuel Reynoso. He's a gifted playmaker. He's just going to keep racking up assists. But uh, I dip dive dove. I dove into the numbers a little bit um, and found that he already has more shot attempts this season, 31, than he did all of last season, 27, despite playing 400 fewer minutes so far. His shots per 90 is up from 2.25 per 90 to 4.15 shots per 90. Thus far he's scored one goal in nine matches played. So, Grant, I ask you, how many goals does Emmanuel Reynoso finish the season on?
0: So, I will answer that question. This is not a, a cop-out. But I would ask, do you know any information regarding the, you know, objectively or, or maybe subjectively, the quality of those shots?
1: That was the other piece. His shots on target per 90 last year was 076 it's only increased to 0.81 this year. So he's not actually putting more shots on target, but he's definitely attempting more, which I think is interesting.
0: Didn't you just say per 90? Yes. So it is, it increased, right? It did increase, but not by much, not by much. So he's doing more and they're a little bit more on target.
1: You know, I, I think, go ahead. He's so he's attempting nearly twice as many shots but only like a 20th of a shot more per game is ending up on target. So do, he's, you have he's any, attempting,
0: do you have any comparisons of where he ranks within those?
1: I don't at the moment. I can, okay. I can try and look Oh, at the it. stat um, guy.
0: Well, I'll, you look it up while I, while okay. I talk for a second, you look it up. All right. So Stefan is Googling or, or tip tapping away. Um, so I think, Emmanuel Reynoso's role as the assister, as the creator, as the facilitator is already very well known, and that's what he's really good at. I think in a similar sense with, like, you know how Jan Gregoosh would take those super long, out-of-the-box shots? I think that's Reynoso's role as well to keep defensive players honest. Like, you got to take some shots so that they're not just... Doubling up on Unu or Fragapane or Hansen or Lude, you gotta, you know, make sure they're also guarding you as a shooter. And I think that's a valuable role, even if you're not necessarily scoring all of those. That being said, I fully expect him to end the year with, I would say, five to six goals. And I think that would be reasonable. I don't, for me, as somebody who watches the game and watches how Emmanuel Reynoso impacts the game, I don't need him to show up on the stat sheet. I just need him to show up in the game influence where he's creating shots. He's creating assists. He might not be the real assister, but he's the hockey assister where it's the pass before the pass. That's where Reynoso is the best. And that's where I want to see him. So it looks like Stefan has his numbers ready. I have, I have a
1: few more. Um, so actually on shots per 90, according to FBref, uh, one of our favorite stats sites, Reynoso is seventh in the entire league in shots attempted per 90. However, his shot on target percentage is the lowest amongst anyone inside the top. I'm still scrolling 35. Oof. However, it's only it's 20.7% on target, which is only barely lower than others amongst the top 15 or so names you might recognize, like Alan Polito, 21.1%, or MLS.com's favorite, Carlos Vela, 21.4%. So, so he's the, not while, that
0: far off.
1: Not really, although the thing is is those players are finishing a lot more of those on-target chances.
0: Well, that's That's just nitpicking, you know, whatever. It's just
1: nitpicking. Reynoso is our special boy, and he's, he's doing great.
0: The thing is, so I think that still conveniently confirms what I feel already, which is he's doing his role. If he bangs in a couple of those, great. If not, that's all right. I'm okay with it. How many goals do you think he needs to score to consider this a successful season?
1: I think I'd like to see him get to at least four. Um, yeah. Partially because of seeing increased shot numbers and, and expecting that some of those are going to have to transfer, translate to goals eventually. But also knowing that he's one of our primary free kick takers, um, I'd like to see at least one or two of those direct free kicks go in. And we know he had a great one against Seattle in, in the game that shall not be mentioned in the playoffs last season. Um, but you know, I, I, I'd expect to see at least one or two of those go in plus maybe another goal or two from open play. And I think, um, expecting him to wrap up the season on, on four or five goals, I think is, is entirely reasonable, but because of how central he is to this team, um, I think maybe more than any other player in our side, our team's success as far as winning matches, is a greater reflection of his success than maybe anyone else on the pitch.
0: Agreed, 100%. So now comes the fun part. Um, We will briefly talk about fantasy, which I hesitate because as I (laughs) opened up the fantasy app, I see that there's name number one, Ari Hillman, again. Like, dude, give it a rest. Like, stop being good for one week. Like, it's just annoying at this point, man. Like yeah, I'm trying to overtake game. him,
1: and, and he yeah. just doesn't lose.
0: Well, and name number two is Stefan Wenk, which, uh, all right, talk your shit. Let's hear it.
1: <laughs> I don't have a lot to talk. Um, I've, it's just, uh, it's gone well for me thus far. Um, you know, we're rolling along. Oh,
0: it's the uh, worst. Carlos he can't Hill. even make himself a villain. He just has to be Carlos nice about Hill
1: it. has performed splendidly. Okay, realistically, um, if,
0: if you're not, to every one of our listeners, if you're not starting Carlos Heel every game, <laughs> like, that's the one tip I've taken from the top couple of people who have been playing, is you, you have to play Carlos Heel, period.
1: Now, the difficulty is, is he's starting to get really expensive to true. use.
0: And if you haven't so already he, had him.
1: He eats up a lot of your budget if you, if you don't already have him on your roster. True. True. Um, but yeah, no. Last week just went really well for me. Um, I ended up finishing the week uh, ranked 86th overall of everyone on MLS Soccer dot com. Uh, oh, little humble brag, out, little humble brag. Out, out of almost 15,000 participants, um, so I had a had a pretty good week. Um, but you know, it's 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 a week by week game, and you know, everyone's gonna gonna slip up at some point eventually. How you many points
0: to total so, did you have?
1: I had 125.
0: Oh okay, I don't even want to talk about mine then. Uh, <laughs> no, me and uh, Minnesota's eleven went head to head, and it was funny because I was just messaging him on Twitter. But we had almost all of the same guys. Like we had half our rosters the same dudes because mm-hmm. it was partially, you know, Fragapane, Unu, Carlos Heel, etc. Whatever, and then uh, you know Alex rolled on. We had the same guys and and then just a couple of different players made the difference so i lost that game so i'm sitting in oh gosh like the 30th no that's not right i'm 19th out of 26 uh, 26 so whatever i started this for my own you know amusement and now i'm just getting my ass kicked so i'm still
1: you- just incredibly impressed that you have a draw like how difficult is it to just end up with exactly the same number of points as your opponent
0: I think I, I'm not the only I, one, though. There's also, I mean, besides the person I drawed with, I think Drew. Will, oh, there's at least a couple others. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's another, yeah. Somebody else had Drew, so kind of interesting. baffle me. We'll give a quick shout-out. we got Ari Hillman in first, Stefan's in second. We've got Minnesota's 11, and uh, Nicholas Bisbee at uh, 234. Uh, Nate Will. Nate Will be. Nate Will be. Yeah. Will I am. Is at uh, fifth, so good for you guys. Uh, stop being so good. Give it a break. Go outside for a little bit. Um, this is getting a little bit long, which is a good thing. Stefan, you've been a fantastic guest. Give me your prediction. Not against Minnesota United versus Colorado, although you can if you want to. But Minnesota United against San Jose. What's the goal? Who scores? What's what's the score line? Who scores the first goal?
1: Um, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Minnesota win, um, and I'm going to say the first goal goes to, you know, we were talking about him earlier. We're going to go with Nico Hansen gets the first goal on the board.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And I think I think Unu gets at least one of the two assists on it, either the, either the primary or the hockey assist, one of the two.
0: I like that. I, I need to be different. So I would have said 3-1 as well. I'm going to say 2-0 because I just I don't think they get closer than two goals to us. That might be cocky, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, I say Adrian Unu gets the first goal. He gets at least one in the next game. Um, and I see a true assist from Emmanuel Reynoso. And let's say Ja'Cory Hayes gets an assist. I'm going to mm-hmm. throw that one out there. All right. Well, this has been a fantastic pod without alex alex you know you'll regret not being here stefan you've been a great guest thank you so much for giving your time and hopping on the podcast and we very much look forward to having you on the pod again as always uh thanks for listening guys and go Go loons